I encourage you to take your Bible and go with me to Matthew chapter 2. And as you're turning there, I'm going to ask you for some help this morning. Uh, my dad graciously shared something known as a head cold, sinus congestion. Um, I don't know exactly what it is. So for those of you that I have opted for the fist bump or the elbow nub instead of a full-on handshake today, that is why. And so I'm going to try to, as Lord gives me strength, get through this. I won't be able to inflect my voice uh, like I normally like to when I get excited. For some of you, you may say, praise the Lord. And uh, so what I'm going to ask of you is if y'all can listen extra hard today, I'll try to preach extra hard. And this is an, an amazing passage of Scripture in Matthew 2 uh, that we will work through. But uh, I just want to say once again with this Christmas season how thankful uh, I am for you as, uh, as my... And now Jen uh, and I as our church family, we love you guys. And even yesterday, I mean, Michael Thompson and Reed Hodges, were they were willing to tag team preach this morning if I wasn't able to uh, to preach. So thank you guys for doing that. Amen, right? And uh, he said, I'm there for you from the back. And uh, I just love this church family. We've had an outstanding year. This next Sunday, Lord willing, we're going to have a little slideshow, a little video of all that the Lord's allowed us to experience as a faith family together in 2014. Some of y'all will be up on the big screen. And uh, don't skip. Don't skip. All right. And it's going to be a great time where we celebrate what God's done. And 2015 is it's pretty much here. Y'all do know that, right? And y'all do know what happens around the first of the year. You can't find an empty seat in any gym in the county, but you give it until maybe the week after Valentine's Day. And you can go to the gym anytime you want to. And you've got plenty of room. But what we want to do this year is uh, start it off in such a way that glorifies and honors Jesus. But since we're still kind of in this Christmas time this christmas aura we're going to look at something that some of us don't have much experience with other than church musicals and manger scenes the wise men let's go to uh, matthew chapter 2 and uh, as you're turning there i'll just say that uh, i give you a statement by charles dickens he says quote it is good to be children sometimes and never better than at christmas when its mighty founder was a child himself Tim Keller says Christmas is telling you that you could never get to heaven on your own and that God had to come to you. As we open up God's word this morning, let's just ask him one more time for his gracious help uh, to allow us to do justice to his word. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we admit that we can't serve you in our own strength. We can't preach in our own strength. We can't even learn your word, the way that we're supposed to in our own strength. But Father, we know that you are able to do more than we could ever do on our own. So we just pray that this morning you'll help us to just put all of the fog of Christmas time to the side and focus in on this incredible story of how you were at work in nations around the world. And we thank you for being patient with us. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. The driving thought of this message this morning is very simple is that the mission of wise men is both to find and to spread or to share truth. Now, if you've ever heard about the wise men, you you probably have this idea uh, that they were these three kings. It never says, first off in the Bible, that they were kings. Uh, It never says that they were necessarily from Orient far. It says that they came from the east. And let me just give you some key players and and key uh, factors in this story before we actually break it down. Number one. People say, who were the wise men? Well, the word is actually magi, or or it's where we get our word magic from. And these were actually, if you have your 
your outline. You can follow along with us. These were highly religious men. They would be kind of like professor scholars, but they also studied the stars as well. They were mostly from Babylonia and Persia. Now, these would have been a culture or cultures that would have been far into the Roman mindset. The Romans, their philosophy was whatever works. That actually is the American philosophy. If you study philosophy, the Americans are known as the pragmatists. We say whatever works. So you have these men who come from this foreign culture, and they were even foreign to the Greeks. The Greeks emphasized rationalism. In the East, they emphasized mysticism. And the word magi literally means a person noted for unusual capacity of understanding based upon astrology. Such persons will regard it as combining both secular and religious aspects of knowledge and understanding. And in Matthew chapter 2, 1, which we're coming to, the word magoi, which is the plural of magi, may be translated as, quote, men of wisdom who studied the stars. So they had a stellar occupation. They studied the stars. Some of you will get that next week. Let's go to verse number one. It says, now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Now, note that, note the time period here. After he was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men, magi, came from the east to Jerusalem, saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw, notice this, his star when it rose and have come to worship him. So in other words, Jesus was born in a scary, scary, scary time. For some of us, the word Herod doesn't mean much at all. I want you to think back of that movie. And I know probably most of you, you've never seen any type of movie like this because you love Jesus and you never sinned. But if you've ever seen The Godfather, you know that Vito Corleone was... The Godfather. Think of this Herod as the granddaddy of all of the Herods. This guy was Herod the Great. We're so excited this morning, right? We're going to be getting some serious history this morning, and we're going to unpack it. And by the way, let me just say, often in the American church, when we hear preaching, we always want to say, what can I take away from my life? In other words, what is practical? Amen? But I think sometimes our urge to be practical, we sometimes put ourselves in front of the biblical text to say that the text is all about me. Instead of the Bible is God's word, let me study it for the value in itself, right? So sometimes when we dig into the, the history, some of you guys love it, some of you zone out. But this morning, here's some awesome, awesome stuff that we're going to look at. Number one is the big player named Herod. Now, if you've read your Bible, especially in the book of Acts and even in the Gospels, it seems like Herods are popping up everywhere. And you say, well, I thought that this Herod died. And then there was the Herod in the book of Acts who got eaten by worms and he died. It's a great story to read right before dinner. It's in the Bible. And it's all of these Herods. Like, how do I understand? Number one, this is Herod the Great. This is the guy who was the top one. The first one to really bring in the dynasty of the Herodians. Now, notice that these wise men came from the east and they came to Jerusalem and they came to the king. He had been instituted over the Jews, kind of by the Romans, as if to say, we can never really keep those troublesome Jews under control. So what we're going to do is we're going to get the most evil, the most sneaky, the most jackbooted of all thugs that we know, the most talented, the most brilliant, the most sliced somebody behind the back, king. 
And his name was Herod. So the Romans just said, you're king of the Jews. Now, here's what's interesting. Herod wasn't actually fully Jewish. He was half Jew. And if you read your Old Testament carefully, you'll know that he was an Edomian of the nation of Edom. The Edomites and the Israelites were always going at each other. See, here's a guy who not only has a chip on his shoulder, but he's got an ethnic chip on his shoulder towards the Jewish people. And this is a guy that we know from history was very scary. Notice what happened there again in verse number 3. When Herod saw that the Magi were looking for this king of the Jews, Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. Put on the brakes. Here's what's going on. Herod had a track record of, this is he would just kill somebody if he thought that they threatened his power. He wouldn't put you on trial. He wouldn't put you in jail. He would just kill you. In fact, secular history, it's even on the, on the history channel. They did a study on how Herod had killed several of his sons and even one of his nine wives. And he was so overcome with grief. He had kind of a, a severe uh, issue going on with his guilt. He preserved her body in honey and would weep every day. Aren't you glad you came to church today to get all these details? But the reason why we need it is because sometimes we read the Bible and it says, well, Herod was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And we pass right on instead of saying, who was Herod? Why was he troubled? And why was Jerusalem troubled with him? It's kind of like we have a saying in America that goes like this. And y'all can finish it for me. If mama ain't happy, everybody in here knows that saying. And the other side of that is daddy ain't happy, nobody cares, right? And so, and so... <laughs> In a a similar way, you have this issue that since Herod is troubled, everybody in Jerusalem was troubled because they said he has control of the Roman soldiers. And not only that, in this day and time, cosmic signs such as stars or comets, that was usually interpreted by soothsayers and seance people and and people who were involved in the occult as the rising and falling of political leaders. So that simply means that there's a star. It's not usual. It's out of place. It's new. And then you're talking about a new king of the Jews and, Jews and Herod was freaking out. In fact, it, one of the Roman leaders said it was better to be Herod's hus than his huias. Check this out. Better to be his pig than his son. Would you call that a dysfunctional family? To put it mildly. Now here's the other side of Herod. And this is, by the way, if you have questions about whether God's word is true, whether the Bible has errors, man, we welcome those questions. Don't we, Rocky Mount Baptist? We're so glad you bring those questions here. But I just want to encourage you, the the stuff that's testified in the Bible, it's so amazing because it's been corroborated and supported by secular history as well. Herod was not only a psycho, uh, extremely insecure man, but he was also a brilliant builder. You know what he did? He actually built the temple. He built the temple that had been destroyed and they kind of did a hack job on it under one of the Hebrew kings named Zerubbabel. So for those of you that are young families and you're looking for what to name your son, there's your choice, Zerubbabel, right? And so Zerubbabel kind of did, you know, okay job with it. But man, Herod came in and he made that thing immaculate. He created all sorts of building and works of architecture to the to the level that even if you go to the nation of Israel, you can still see Herod's stuff today. 
And we've got some amazing builders in this church, but I don't know how many of our good builders and carpenters would be able to say, 2,000 years, my stuff's still going to be standing. Let's just take a time out here, guys. Herod, by the world's eyes and by his business acumen, if we could say, was absolutely a winner and a half. People came from all over the known world to look at what Herod had built. They're like, wow, you bi- he built that. I mean, so, and she, they would come and they would just would say, wow, I, nobody else can do that to the point that it's 2,000 years later and this stuff is still standing. People were blown away by it, but at home, Herod was a failure. I remember uh, at the uh, rehearsal dinner, the night before Jen and I got married, uh, one of the statements that was given and a charge to me was, you know, Jeff, we hope that you can become a better pastor, a better preacher, a better teacher, all those things that you say that defines who you are to some degree. But we want you to be a better husband and a better father than you ever are a preacher and a pastor. Man, as I was looking at this, I said, man, I don't want to be like Herod. I mean, God has blessed our church in so many ways. You know, people, we have people who, who come here and like, man, we, we heard what, what the Lord's doing uh, in your church. And we want to be a part of that. And we want to refer people here, it, people who don't even live around here. It's just an awesome thing. But I never wanted to come away in my life. And guys, please hear me in our lives to where we're good at what we do. But when we go home, we're a failure. And really what happens at home determines the rest of it. If we fail at home to love our wives as Christ loved the church, if we fail at home to teach our children the word of God, then we fail. Because Jesus says, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world but yet loses his own soul? In other words, parents, what it means is that if we train them up to be A and B students, it, man, it means that if we train them up, you know, not to do drive-by shootings. Come on, parents, right? It always is crazy how parents sometimes, well, as long as they're not in a gang. I'm like, is that your standard, right? Come on, raise it a little bit. I mean, if we teach them how to, to do things right and they, they're nice to people, they're not the type of kids that everybody doesn't want to have over, And there's a success and they get jobs and they have insurance and homes and vehicles, but they don't have Jesus as the first place over all that and they die and go to hell. That's called ultimate epic failure, right? So wherever we are, maybe some of you are here today and you're like, man, I'm, I'm, I need to be like the wise man. I need to be seeking Jesus. This is kind of my first time in church in a long time. We're glad that you're here. And I was an awesome worship testimony that Jonathan gave about how Jesus split history. And the question, has he split your history? It can be today that you can get saved and begin to follow Christ. Amen, church? Man, woman, teenager, listen, it can be when Jesus comes into your life and he takes over control, everything will be brand new. And he can take the failures of the past and use that baggage to say, you know what? Your dad and your mom today is not like we were a year ago because of what Jesus has done in my heart. And that should fill us with so much gratefulness we won't be able to know what to do with ourselves. But here's Herod, a man who was famous, a man who was successful, but a man who had literally lost his family to selfish ambition. And notice what Herod does. He does what some of us should do when we're seeking the Lord. He, in verse 4, he assembled all the chief priests and scribes of the people. He inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. Now, that's a good move. He assembled the religious A-team of the day, the people who sat around and studied the Old Testament scrolls, and they copied them meticulously. 
Imagine being a copyist, a, a, a Jewish scribe, and you have copied by hand an entire manuscript, and you make one small error at the end. Guess what you had to do? You had to burn it. Some of us, if we've ever tried going from a computer back to an old school typewriter, that can be difficult, right? And then we're reminded by our parents and our grandparents, that's what we wrote papers on. And one mistake, you had to use whiteout. Imagine these people that were so brilliant in God's word were summoned by whom? Herod. Imagine if that would have been you and I. We're locked away in our study, studying God's word, and Herod assembles us and says, where is the king to be born? Notice what they said in verse 5. They told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. This is from the book of Micah. And the Bible scholars, here's the crazy thing. They gave him the right answer. But what does Herod do? In verse 7, Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. Now, if we've been in church for any amount of time, this ought to cause us to have a heart check. The religious folks had the right answer. They gave the right answer. And this is, this is what's mind-blowing. Bethlehem is only about a 10-mile walk or ride or donkey train from Jerusalem. And notice not one of them went. That means that if we've been in church for a while and we can quote Bible verses and we know the different Herods and all of that, but we don't actually act on the knowledge that we have, the Bible tells us to be not just hearers of the word, but doers of the word. And here's the thing. The scribes and scholars of the day, they didn't just miss Christmas. They missed everything. And I just think sometimes, you know, how busy we are and how I have my Bible there. And I know I'm a preacher and some people think, you know, preachers do nothing but read the Bible 24-7. They, they sleep in a suit. And, and I just look at the Bible. I just look at it sometimes. And I, I think, you know what? I should be in God's word more than I am, not just to accumulate knowledge, but to say, Lord, would you teach me something today? Something fresh and something new. Something that would teach me how to be more like you. To be a better husband and to be a better pastor and to be a better friend that my heart, that my heart would be broken for people. And I wouldn't be cold and calloused to automatically pull up Bible references like these scholars and simply give the word of God, but not pursue the word of God. Let it be that for us, we pursue it. This is so cool. When it says Bethlehem, you know what Bethlehem literally means? It means house of bread. Isn't it awesome that Jesus is the bread of life? It is the house of bread. Here's Jesus from that town. And here's what's crazy too. This group of scholars was made up of the Sadducees and the Pharisees. They all agreed on the right answer, but no one pursued it. I love making fires. Anybody else here? Got a little issue with being a fire bug, right? Uh, and nobody wants to admit that in church. And I notice when we, we make fires... Like at night when it gets cold and, and when you make that fire, the, the center part really burns down, doesn't it? 
And if you don't stoke the fire, if you don't rearrange the fire, it can kind of lose its ferocity. And to where the ends of the firewood, no, I mean, it's just like they've not been touched at all. And the fire burns down, the room begins to come cold. But boy, if you go in there and you've got your tongs and you rearrange that fire, you flip things around and you shuffle things, you give it about 30 seconds or so if you're a good fire person, even less. And woof, I mean, that fire is up roaring again. And I think, you know what, maybe it would be like for some of us that know God's word, that have been plugged into church, we go to Sunday school and it's like we can finish the story before the teacher does that we say lord would you reshuffle some things in my life maybe the fire has grown dim maybe it's that i i i have less of a passion for you now than i did a year ago or six months ago and we say lord would you please reshuffle things in my priorities and notice once again what herod asked the magi to do he asked them to return with the the word of where the child was. Now people say, Jeff, how old was Jesus? There's a Greek word that's used to describe the child, which means a child two years of old uh, and under. Not the word that's used to describe infants. So this is not baby Jesus who's right there in the manger anymore. This is baby Jesus as a toddler. How cool would that be? And these magi are coming. Then they, in the, uh, in verse number nine, and after listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose before them, until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Just like people do when they have no greater threshold of joy. And they're rejoicing and going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. These are dyed-in-the-wool Easterners, and they come to the city called Jerusalem. They get rerouted to this little town called Bethlehem. And the only appropriate thing for these men who are wise and learned, we could say PhD people, and they come to this little bitty toddler and they bow down because it's the only appropriate thing. You know, guys, it's appropriate to open the door for ladies. It'd be appropriate if we had a head of state come into this room, whether it be the governor or president or a representative or a senator, when someone comes into a you, you, you stand in honor. But when we come to the feet of Jesus, the only appropriate response is to bow and worship. And think of all of the learning that those men had accumulated, all of their rich, all of their riches and their treasures, the gold, which the symbolism there is many things, but one thing that stands out is that gold is pure when it is refined by fire. And to think that this little baby boy would be refined by the fires of God's judgment of the disciples themselves walking out on him. And then frankincense was the only incense that was permitted on the altar in the temple. And it was not allowed with the sin offering, meaning that Jesus is the perfect sin offering for us. And then myrrh was used for embalming bodies. You know what? I thought about this. I say, you know, a lot of times money, gold, that can keep people from Jesus. Frankincense, you could translate that, something like religion. Religious rituals, that can keep people from Jesus. And sometimes the fear of just death can keep people from Jesus. But these men, when they came to the feet of Jesus, they fell down. 
Then some people have said, now, Jeff, it's at this point in the story, how on earth did these guys have any type of a framework about the Messiah who would come? Well, in the Old Testament, you know that the Jews were a little hard of hearing. They were rebelling against God time and time again. And God brought a group of people called the Babylonians, and they destroyed the temple raised it to the ground. They then pulled the walls down. That would be like in Israel today if you did some cyber terrorism and you hacked into the Iron Dome network. That meant that anyone within rocket or mortar distance could launch missiles into Israel and they would be absolutely defenseless. King Nebuchadnezzar came and he took over the city. He destroyed the temple. It was actually one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. And not only that, when the temple fell, 587, 586 B.C., if you've ever seen the Indiana Jones movies, the Raiders of the Lost Ark, this was the point in which the ark disappeared. And for a Jew, the temple's destroyed? That was the not, that, that would, that would be like Washington D.C. Where the Congress meets and the White House just gone, destroyed. And even more so, the Ark of the Covenant that they would carry into battle, it was gone. Imagine being a Jew in that time thinking, you know what, God has forsaken us. And they're there in the Babylonian captivity. Well, the Babylonians were taken over by the Medes and the Persians. And the Medes and the Persians... During the time of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, during the time of the prophet Daniel, in this area known as uh, Assyria and even Babylon and, and all these words, you're like, what do they mean? Listen, in the country of Persia, when it was, uh, when it took over Babylonia, they took over the country that had taken over the Jewish people. And when we study our books carefully, During the time of the exile, there is a movement called Zoroastrianism that came out of Iran, Persia, that they got so many things wrong. It's not a true religion, but they said, you know what? There is one God. Who did they learn that from? The Jewish exiles. They didn't get it right, but these guys who were there and they had these Jews surrounding them obviously knew that there would be a Messiah come from the country of Israel. If you want to make a note in your Bibles in Numbers chapter 24, verse 17, this is Balaam's prophecy. Do you remember Balaam? He was the one who God had to get his donkey to speak. So if God can use a donkey, he can use us. Amen? And this is what Balaam says. He says, a star shall come out of Jacob and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. This is before Israel even went into the promised land. So around that whole area of the world, people knew that there would be some type of deliverance coming from the Jewish people. Now imagine if you and I had been there when Nebuchadnezzar took over the country and when he destroyed the temple and when he pulled down the the walls, it would be something akin to us getting taken over by North Korea or Iran today, or communist China, and being marched away, looking off in the distance, seeing the beautiful Blue Ridge Mountains, knowing most certainly we would never, ever see them again. And then when we get to the captive country, they begin to brainwash us. And many of our fellow Americans, they go ahead and fall, and they 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 give over their allegiance, and they start acting like the enemy, and they start talking like the enemy, and believing like the enemy. This is what happened to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It's what happened to Daniel. So listen, whenever we are in the context of 
a culture that doesn't want to follow Jesus Christ know that we are in good company. This is one of the most ironic things about this story. The Persians absorbed the Babylonian knowledge. So whether these men were Babylonian or Persian in their ethnicity, they came to the same city that their forefathers had raised to the ground looking for answers. You know, for some of us, we have times in our lives to where we say, Lord, I'm just going to do my own thing. I'm just going to do my own thing and walk my own way. And change begins when we come back to what we've previously forsaken. You know, we look at this story and we see there in verse 12 how it wraps up and being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. We say, wow, what an amazing story of these guys who are coming from this foreign country to give these gifts to this little child. Why was Herod going back to Herod the Great? Why was he so ferocious against any sort of opposition? And the answer is because the baby Jesus and King Jesus opposes self-rule. When we hear the gospel, there's something in our heart that says, yes, that's true. Yes, that's what I need. But there's also something in our heart that says, I don't know if I'm willing to make that commitment to Jesus. You see, when we commit to Jesus, he's actually the one who's the enemy of peace. He, or he's the one who's the enemy in our life of not, a, not having true peace. For example, Herod never had peace with his people. He never had peace with his family. He was driven by insecurity and fear. Jesus comes in and he says, do not be fearful. You see, for some of us, we think that we have to always be first place. But when Jesus comes in and we see that little child, when we see a manger scene, it reminds us of the fact that it is through a baby boy, an infant child that God chose to send his son into the world, not through a conquering king. And sometimes we, like Herod, fear the baby Jesus because we know what the baby Jesus demands. The baby Jesus King Jesus, the risen Lord over death, demands that we walk differently when we come to Him. When we come to Christ, Christ says, no longer have sex with your boyfriend or your girlfriend. No longer look for ways to cheat on your spouse and not get caught. No longer look for ways to be dishonest and get more gain than you should on your job. Jesus calls us to be men and women of integrity. He calls us to be different. And in John chapter 3, it says the reason why men run from the light is because they love the darkness lest their deeds be exposed. The reason why some of us get a little bit of church, but we avoid Jesus in our daily lives is because we know that if we came to him, I mean, I'm not talking even to church. I'm talking about in our room, just kneeling down saying, Jesus, would you open me up? Would you show me if there be any wicked way within me and help me make it right? We know that if we come to that point that the light of the Holy Spirit would shine on some dark areas in our heart that we're not yet sure we'd like to let go. But I want to encourage you, whether you've never been saved or whether you're a Christian who feels like you've backslid some this year. And in Romans chapter 6, it says that we have been baptized into Christ Jesus And if we've been baptized into his death, it means even more so that we'll be able to live for him. It means that when you got saved for real, that a change began that the devil himself can't even stop. And it means that King Jesus is the enemy of the enemy of peace, which is selfishness, insecurity, and self-will. 
And so the call for us when we look at this story of Herod, a man who had everything but a man who lost his family, is to remember that unless we have Jesus at the center of our family, we will ultimately lose everything. But the fact that Jesus can change a family's direction and a trajectory and Jesus can even heal mistakes and sins of the past, it means that today can be a brand new change. And for some, you say, Jeff, I wasn't raised in church. I didn't have the knowledge that even these magi did through those Jewish exiles of Jesus who would come. But you're searching and you're searching for answers. The answer is Jesus. Jesus. 